Fuck it. Take it. Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. B -b bullshit. It just makes no fucking sense. It's just bullshit. Fuck. B -b bullshit. This is bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Welcome back to Bullshit Filter, the news, episode 34, or, Ray, as I like to think of it, uh, Venezuela yeah. part two. How are you today, <laughs> Papa Bear? Are you still in a polar vortex Woo! over there in Virginia? Actually, um, because God loves me, today it got up to 51. It got, it got uh, unseasonably warm. So don't get me wrong. Most of the um, anything that's wet is still frozen. But we actually had a bit of um, a warm spell today. It's supposed to continue tomorrow. I'm just I'm just super excited. Super oh, in wow. a Super Bowl Sunday. Woo, Ric Flair. Woo. Yeah, I'm having a great day. That's great. So, yeah. Well, it's very early in the morning here for me. I'm barely awake. Uh, had two mouthfuls of coffee now. Two so if you could just if you could just uh, yeah. like keep it yeah keep it down okay. a little bit that. That'd be great. Whoa. That'd be just Whoa. great. Hey, I got a question. Um, I need to ask you about yeah. um, erectile Please. drugs, Ray. Before we get into Venezuela, yeah, I've had a number of uh, <laughs> our listeners emailing me saying, "Are you aware, Cameron, that uh, Ray is advertising erectile drugs on his World War Two podcast?" And I'm like, "No, I was not aware." Um, are yeah. you uh, now? I know how it works when. We do ads. Uh, usually they say, well, we want you to try this stuff out first <laughs> so you can speak about it credibly. They send you a HelloFresh right. box right. or they'll send you some Harry's yeah. razors to shave with so you can speak right. uh, from personal experience. Are you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you been taking the uh, erectile drugs? Don't mention the name because we're not advertising no. them. I'm not getting any right. fucking money, so we're not advertising no. on this show. Exactly. But I just want to know, have you been taking the erectile drugs and how's well, it been working out for you and uh, your goat? <laughs> I, I have to be honest with you, um, and, and Heather is very fortunate in this. Uh, no, I have not partook. I, I haven't been sent any samples. I can't take those because I have high blood pressure, which means I would probably have a huge erection, have the greatest sex of my life, and then die. So, um, do you no, say that? On, do you uh, say that on your ads? <laughs> Look, I can't take no. them because they'd probably kill me. But you but should I, definitely I would, buy them, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> No, I um, you just, believe it or not, that is not one of the taglines. You don't take them. You just crush them up, feed them to your pet goat. Right. And, uh, I, then, and then I receive then, yeah. from the catcher. Then you, yeah. No. <laughs> don't I get turned on? No, I do the old-fashioned um, crushed up rhino horn uh, uh, drink. Um, that mm. That's what I use. Kill, so, kill, you know. Go kill your own rhino before you do that? Pretty much, which means you're a man, but um, yeah, Trump. it's either the rhino or me. So yeah. yeah, okay. Well, moving on from your erectile dysfunction, um, <laughs> Venezuela. So when we when we did our first Venezuela show last week, um, we said obviously correctly uh, wasn't that hard to work out. Uh, right. No, you don't have to be Nostradamus to know this is a fluid situation. So what's happened in the last week uh, is, among other things. 
the US have applied new sanctions against Venezuela. Uh, the one that right. I go, got my goat is that US companies can continue to yeah. import oil from Venezuela. Because normally, if they're going to apply sanctions against a country, particularly a Latin right. American country or, or Iraq, they would say, no, 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 no. You, you can't buy oil from this country at right. all. Uh, sanction. Sanction. They walk around holding a Bible up saying, sanction. <laughs> um, but, uh, of course, Venezuela's, yeah. I, last I read, it's worth, it, it still accounts for about 6% of U.S. oil imports, uh, was as high as 10 up until a couple of years ago. Um, so right. they, they don't want to cut off Venezuelan mm. oil from coming into the country. So they said U.S. companies can still buy oil, but the funds that they buy that oil with must be held in accounts that are not accessible <laughs> to the Maduro government. Oh, my God. Right. That's that's pretty slick. You have to admit, that is pretty, pretty slick. But the, quest, but the question is, well, who's selling the fucking huh? oil if it's not the Maduro government? I mean, Guaido has been declared the interim president by the... Mm-hmm. National Assembly, and, and if we have time today, we'll get into the legalities of that. But uh, PDVSA is owned by the government. Maduro is the president. So I don't know who's going to be selling the oil if the Maduro government and entities controlled by it aren't getting the funds. I don't, know, I don't know the details of how that works, but that's one of the new sanctions. The US have applied to try and further destabilize quite by their own admission they're doing this to further destabilize the maduro government and increase the level of uh, chaos in venezuela with the intent of securing regime change and getting rid of maduro getting him to resign uh, using this additional strife to convince the Mm -hmm. military to stop supporting maduro and um and, and support guaido uh, so it'll be effectively a military coup. Um, now, I want to point out, and this is important to understand. I've had to explain mm-hmm. this to several people on several Americans on Facebook over the last week. <laughs> Sanctions right. are illegal under the United huh. Nations Charter. Every time you hear about the US applying sanctions towards right. a country... It's illegal unless the sanctions have been approved by the United Nations Security Council. Because mm-hmm. as, as I've said a fucking million times on this show <laughs> and our Cold War show, right. economic sanctions are a form of war. When you right. apply economic sanctions to a country, you are it's an act of warfare. Okay? Yeah. Um, and... You know, part of the United Nations Charter is you can't go to war with people unless it's approved by the United Nations. It's illegal under international law uh, if you if you wage war on a country without it being approved. Um, so, uh, according to the Charter of the United Nations, which the United States obviously is not only a fucking signatory to, but invented the whole fucking United Nations. <laughs> The only the United Nations Security Council has a mandate by the international community to apply sanctions 
that must be complied with by all UN member states. So the US applying sanctions towards Venezuela has not been approved by the UN Security Council. It wouldn't get approved because China and Russia, two of the permanent members, would veto it. So the US just goes ahead and does it by itself, which is illegal. So they're... On one hand, they're accusing the Maduro government of being illegitimate, and we'll, we'll get into the political machinations of that uh, in this episode, hopefully. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. they're doing illegal shit under international law against Venezuela and have been for quite a few years now, since, since the uh, Obama administration, and in fact, going back earlier to, that, to 2002 with the coup, which we'll get into. So uh, the the... Legal and and moral complexities of this are a little bit deeper. Now, you, I guarantee you, when you read about the sanctions in the U.S. media, you will right. struggle outside of maybe some lefty publications like Democracy Now. Uh, in the mainstream media, you will struggle to hear them say, "By the way, the, uh, what we're doing is fucking illegal." There doesn't. This is this is. I guess why we exist, right? So uh, the, the well, exactly. we have a free press in America. Sure, it's free for <laughs> billionaires to own and and used to free to it's free to uh, bury certain kinds of information from the general public. This is something that doesn't get talked about. Sanctions are illegal under international law. The United States is breaking the law when it. Uh, applies sanctions to countries like Cuba and Venezuela and probably North Korea. I'm not exactly sure what the status is with North Korea. Well, I mean, if, if I could just break out, if I could, if I could break out Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA, um, if the United States has been doing sanctions for decades, yes, technically it's illegal, but it's obviously a very accepted uh, weapon in, in our in our pouch uh, that we can and will and will continue to to use against people. But that's what makes this and entire so, situation... And so successful, yeah, too. Yeah. Like those sanctions against Cuba Ooh. since 1960. <laughs> I didn't say they were effective. I said they're practically one. legal because we do them whenever so we... So effective right. at removing the Castro regime yeah. in Cuba. They're fucking right. good work. Well, good work, America. <laughs> Well, that's what makes this whole situation fascinating for me, because this is not Syria. This is an oil-rich nation. So we're like, look, all we want and, – and you probably saw the thing I put on the Bullshit Filter uh, Facebook page with John Bolton pretty much coming out and saying it's about the oil. We have this country. We want a regime change. But for now, we're going to fight you as best we can as in, our, in, in our limited means and, let's be honest, illegal means with sanctions. Still send us your oil. We'll still buy it because we don't want to piss off the American people. And the Venezuelan government is like, okay, we'll still sell it to you because, you know, we're, we're trying to make money from this. This is how we make our money. So you've got these two countries saying horrible things about each other, accusing each other of horrible things. But at the same time, they're both tipping around what is the truth and that they both want the oil. Because John Bolton said, look, this is pretty much about the oil. We want – we're telling the American companies – this is about getting our people in there. Let us run the oil for you, just like the British did in the Middle East for so many decades. It'd be good for you. And this, these are his words. It'd be good for your people. It'd be good for our people. And and that's pretty much what we want. And um, now, and you know this already. There is zero, zero um, enthusiasm, percent enthusiasm for any kind of military intervention by the average American. We we don't care enough 
to get militarily active in this. But that doesn't mean that the government's not going to do whatever it can, say whatever it can to win. It's just hoping to use its uh, economic bite in, in lieu of military means. And so this is what we've been doing for, for decades, and we'll keep on doing it. The thing is, we're going to find out how tough or dedicated Maduro is or his people is, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. Yes, we're breaking the rules, but if you're one of the two superpowers, do the rules really apply to you? Let's listen to uh, John Bolton. We're looking at the oil assets. That's the single most uh, important income stream to the government of Venezuela. We're looking at what to do to that. We want everybody to know we're, we're looking at all this very seriously. We don't want any American businesses or investors caught by surprise. They can see what President Trump did yesterday. We're following through on it. Uh, so if you think of a company like Citgo, which is owned by Pedavesa, which is the state-run oil company there in Venezuela, we have a lot of those Citgo assets right here in the U.S. Is that something, for example, sir, that you're looking at? Yeah, well, we're in conversation with major American companies now that are either in Venezuela or in the case of Citgo here in the United States. Uh, I think we're trying to get to the same end result here. You know, uh, Venezuela is one of the three countries I call the Troika of Tyranny. It'll make a big difference to the United States economically if we could have American oil companies really invest in and, and produce the oil. Uh, capabilities in uh, Venezuela. It'd be good for the people of Venezuela. It'd be good for the people of the United States. We both have a lot at stake here, making this come out the right way. Because we all know the uh, the wonderful storied history of what happens in Latin American countries when American corporations control their main streams of income. Oh, it's yeah. always worked out well in the past. Um, yeah, so he's just come out and said it again. And this is the thing that we've said a lot about the Trump administration. I don't think the Trump administration is uh, that remarkable in terms of the policies that they're enacting compared to what you would expect any GOP administration or Democratic administration really uh, to do, particularly right. on the international stage. But the, the, the difference between the Trump administration and previous administrations, the Trump administration just Trump's administration so they just come out and say it they don't <laughs> they don't hide behind dipl diplomatic yeah. niceties and fronts they just get yeah no it's about the oil yeah actually we want american yeah. companies to run the oil yeah now we'll give them one percent or a tenth of a percent we'll give them something don't get me wrong but yeah we want to run the show yeah it's ours yeah um meanwhile in the last week maduro you may remember last week um after Trump uh, acknowledged Guaido as the interim president. Maduro said, fuck, you got three days to get your diplomats out of the country. Right. Uh, the, the deadline passed. They didn't remove them. He's like, oh, well, he's like me when I'm trying to get Fox to do something. I'm going to count to three. I count to three and he still doesn't. Know. I go, well, I'm now going to count to ten. All right. In this case, Maduro said he's going to count to, he's going to, count to, he's going to, count to 30. Uh, right. He said... Oh, we'll extend the deadline because we're nice guys to 30. So we can have an opportunity to discuss models for how we can have conversations ongoing. And the US is just like, no, fuck, we're not talking to you. Shut up. Go away. Pretty much same thing Fox says to me when I try and get him to do something. Um, what if mm. what if, some, what if one of those American citizens uh, are, who work for the United States in Venezuela is killed? in the next 30 days because you know obviously the people they are frustrated they know what the united states is doing i mean their lives are in to a degree in jeopardy probably what the trump administration is hoping for 
Ah, okay. Oh, they they, they're killing Americans. Yeah. Now, yeah. Dan fucking Bolton, when he walked out to give his speech the other day, as people I'm, I'm sure saw, he walked out to give a speech uh, about Venezuela with a yellow notepad tucked under his arm with writing <laughs> on it that said something about 5,000 troops to Colombia. The oh. writing pointing quite deliberately, Upward. obviously, at yeah. the camera so everyone could read it, <laughs> that he's talking, they're, they're going to send 5,000 troops to Colombia. Um, this Jeez. is the kind of, of gamesmanship that they're playing at the moment. Uh, so just, yeah, desperate for an excuse to uh, send in the troops, I think. And, and we look, we know this because this has come out in books like Fire and Fury. Uh, Trump has been itching to send military down to Venezuela since day one as president. Mm. And he has had, up until recently, people like Mattis and Kelly in the White House preventing him from doing that. Yeah. Uh, they're gone, and uh, now he's got, you know, Bolton. Uh, yeah. Bolton is like uh, Jack Palance. <laughs> And you and I are going to do this in a future bullshit episode because it's too important not to. But Bolton, his primary thing is he has a major hard-on for invading Iran. It's all Iran, Iran, Iran. We're going to get to that later. But the point is he probably had to come back from his cloud of fantasy to be able to talk about Venezuela. But, yeah, I mean, can you picture – I mean, this guy just wants to solve all the problems with military. I mean, forget, you know – um, due process, forget international laws, or even established um, precedent. This guy just wants to ride roughshod, and I think that's what Trump likes about him. He, he comes across as a hard ass, and he just makes these unilateral decisions. I think Trump likes that. Meanwhile, a former <laughs> United Nations uh, rapporteur says U.S. sanctions are killing citizens. Um, yeah. In Venezuela, this is a guy called uh, Alfred de Zayez, uh, finished his term at the UN in March. Um, he was the first UN rapporteur to visit Venezuela for 21 years. And uh, he said, mm. not only are the sanctions illegal and could amount to crimes against humanity under international law... But he described it as economic warfare, as I said earlier, and said that uh, it's killing people. Sanctions kill. He told The Independent, adding that they fall most heavily on the poorest people in society, demonstrably cause death through food and medicine shortages, lead to violations of human rights, and are aimed at coercing economic change in assisted democracy. On his fact-finding mission to the country in late 2017, he found internal over-dependence on oil, poor governance and corruption had hit, Venezuela, had hit the Venezuelan economy hard, but said economic warfare practiced by the US, EU and Canada are significant factors in the economic crisis. So um, this, yeah. is, uh, this is serious stuff uh, that, that can't be downplayed by... The U.S. and the EU doing something illegal that's potentially viewed by the U.N. as a crime against humanity in order to bring about regime change is just it's not acceptable in my book. 
Right. And we, we've seen this before. And, and when those people are starving and they're frustrated and they're and they're suffering, they can't do anything against the United States. All they can do is strike out against Maduro or whoever who seems weak and is unable to take care of them. And that's exactly what the United States is doing. So our attitude, along with the UK, Canada and everybody else who's um, supporting us is like, yeah, I know some people are going to die, but but that's what we're going to do until you step down or we can bribe you to step down or whatever. It's, it's a tried and true. Well, I don't know if it's a tried true method, but it's certainly in a, a method that's been tried many times. And the suffering of those people do not does not mean anything to Trump, to the White House, to, to most people um, not in that country. It just and, doesn't. And you don't hear it get talked about either. The, the effect of the right. sanctions on the general public doesn't get come up. Again, uh, much in the media certainly doesn't get mentioned by Trump or Bolton or any of the other major political leaders. Anyway, let's get back to talking about how we yeah. got here in the first place. So where we left off last time, there was an attempted coup against Chavez in uh, 2002. There were several, actually, but we were talking about the first one in April 2002. Was it orchestrated by the United States? Uh, it would appear so. Uh, last week, I played a clip by Scott Wilson from the Washington Post where he said he believed that was the case. Uh, and there's... there's more evidence uh, that I want to just run through briefly because it's important to understand the role of the United States in uh, uh, fucking around with Venezuela's economy and government over the last 20 years. One of the plotters mm -hmm. of the 2002 coup was a Venezuelan Vice Admiral, Admiral Carlos Molina. He said uh, later on that he had met with a US official several weeks before the coup. So the U.S. Uh, at the time, Bush administration was saying, no, 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 it had nothing to do with us, uh, completely hands off. In fact, we told them, don't do it. Um, right. But, so you uh, knew about it. Yeah, yeah, well, they kind of admitted <laughs> later on that they knew about it, but did nothing about it because, in their mm. words, hey, not our problem. Um, right. Not our job to tell Chavez there's going to be a coup. But whether or not they orchestrated it, they certainly supported it. The LA Times wrote a few weeks later, the United States, proclaimed champion of democracy, embarrassed itself by not denouncing the coup and was further shamed by the revelation that Bush administration officials had talked to the Venezuelan opposition for months before the coup. Whatever its intentions, mm -hmm. the White House failed to stay on the side of democracy. You know, I think one of the big uh, tip-offs here, as I said in the last episode, is after the coup happened, rather than denounce the coup and the plotters and uh, uh, refused to have diplomatic contact with them. Like this time, the US back in 2002 immediately went, oh, that's good. Yeah, no, you, that'll do. Right. We're happy with you. Thumbs <laughs> up. Uh, let's, let's business as usual. Right. Now, that's not yeah. the way uh, governments are supposed to treat countries where they've overthrown. Remember, too, that Chavez came to power through an election. Um, he was yeah. democratically elected. It wasn't a military coup. He was democratically elected, and then he was overthrown. Well, this is the first time, right? 98, sworn right. in in 99. Right. 2002, this coup happened, early 2002. He'd been president for three years, and uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, supported or endorsed or at least didn't frown at uh, at the very least, uh, a coup that overthrew a democratically elected government. 
the mm. LA Times at the quote in back then in April 22, 2002, quoted one Venezuelan source as saying, all the United States really cared about was that it was done neatly with a resignation letter or something to show for it. Remember, right. they, they faked a resignation letter from uh, him. Yeah. yeah. They reported uh, that a Venezuelan leader who visited Washington for an official meeting said he concluded after talks with U.S. officials that the Americans would not necessarily punish the leaders of a government that overthrew Chavez. So not mm. punishing something is the same as giving it your tacit approval. Now, of course, I don't think the U.S. should be in a position to punish anyone over anything anyway. They're not my dad. You're not my real right. dad. Um, <laughs> but In a different country, right? You can't tell other countries what to do. Well, we all know that they do. And the yeah. point was that the plotters of the clue obviously had an understanding with the Bush administration that there would right. be no repercussions uh, if they overthrew Chavez. In fact, they would probably be happy about it. Um, so that's basically giving a coup tacit approval. You, Whether or not they were involved before that in the lead up to it is a matter of debate. I mean, I don't think we have a lot of hard evidence about their involvement before the run-up, but it had been going on since day, you know, been going on for several years, as we talked about in the last episode. They've been... Uh, the the Venezuelan media and uh, sort of right wing capitalists had been um, talking about a coup for several years. Again, you have to figure that they wouldn't be doing that too loudly unless they knew that they had U.S. support right. for doing that. It's just the reality of the situation in Latin America. Yeah. A Western diplomat told the Washington Post, "I don't think the U.S. provided any." active or material support for the coup, but the people involved may have seen all of these meetings and visits, added them all up, and come up with the idea that they were on the same team. How could you not? I mean, honestly. Yeah. So like I guess we have, their, we have their backing. Yeah. That's the same. It's... it's, it's, it's uh, so it's important to understand that that is one of the ways that these coups happen. It's not necessarily the CIA flying in there undercover uh, uh, mm -hmm. and, and doing it themselves. It's not necessarily the CIA going in there with a briefcase full of cash and looking for people to do it, like happened in Iran in 1953. Um you know, this can be more about just keeping your doors open to... Obviously, there are going to be people that are upset with any government. Like in Australia, we have people that are upset with our government, right? There's always people mm -hmm. that aren't happy with your government, particularly in a country like this where there was right-wing administrations for decades and then a left-wing administration came in. There's people, particularly rich people, that are going to be unhappy about that. And they're going to want to do something about it, but they're, they're not going to do that without knowing that they have uh, the U.S.'s blessing. It's like it's like a, a capo wanting to whack another capo, uh, a made man. He has to go to the don and yeah. go. Listen, uh, you know this guy is causing me trouble. He's uh, uh, he's hitting up my my hoos. Uh, right. and have that. Uh, I got to whack him is, you know, he needs his blessing this, <laughs> in, in geopol international geopolitics, the United Same States thing. since World War II <laughs> is the Don. 
And right. uh, unless you're a rival family like uh, Russia or, or China, uh, you, you don't do anything without the blessing from the Don, basically, because you know it comes with repercussions. Right. Yeah, nobody hits my whores but me. I, I want to make that absolutely clear. If I could just just take a second, I found this interesting about Chavez. So after the coup, and like you said, it was one of the shortest coups ever last time, he, le- he does learn a lesson from this. He's not pants on fire. He does slow down. He does become more moderate. He puts a more moderate economic team in that's more centrist. Um, he puts back the old board of directors on the state oil company, but at the same time, and of course, as far as I know, this does get twisted by the new the U.S. news media or the Western news media. He also beefs up his military a bit. He buys a hundred thousand AK-47s and helicopters from Russia. He he buys some um, light attack training planes from Brazil. Now. You could easily say that this guy just wants to make sure there's not another coup by beefing up his military. But you know that's going to get spun uh, by the U.S. or whatever press. And the fact that he's buying them from Russia and from Brazil, um, it's, it's just going to piss the people off more. But the point is, on one hand, he's he's trying to learn his lesson and slow down the economic reforms. But at the same time, he's trying to make sure he's not, you know whisk away again and have some kind of resignation letter written for him uh, by somebody else. So he is, he is trying to do a better job, but at the same time, he's being more realistic and trying to take care of his chances of survival. And there's, yeah. and there's apps you can, whatever you want, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So let's look at uh, Kui Bono for the coup. Who stood to benefit from this 2002 coup? Well, last time we talked about the three main army groups uh, and their various loyalties. There was the guys who didn't like the fact that Chavez was moving Venezuela more towards a a Cuba-style model, a a lefty Mm -hmm. socialist model. It's obvious what they stood to gain. One, political power. And two, it's pretty easy to imagine that uh, they were in league with some of the rich corporate interests in uh, uh, Venezuela. They had the most to gain. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the army guys were Opus Day, as we mentioned last time, this right. uh, rather secretive uh, extremist Catholic organization. Um, now, there's a lot of sort of Dan Brown, uh, uh, Da Vinci Code, conspiracy theories about Opus Day. I don't know that there's any evidence to the fact that they're like the... They often sort of get depicted as the, the Freemasons of the Catholic Church, secret handshakes, and they're having people right. whacked and killed. I don't know if there's any truth yeah. to that, but... The fact that some of these uh, generals were linked to Opus Day was important enough for Stratfor to mention in that cable that I quoted last time. So if Stratfor think it's an important thing to include in their notes, yeah. then it's probably significant at some level. Now, right. why would Opus Day be um, anti-Chavez? Uh, remember, he's planning on on helping the poor people. You, you know, you would think, wow, Catholics like to help poor people. Um, <laughs> mm, yeah, no. not so much uh, when it no, when it threatens it their interests, right? Yeah. Right. So yeah. Christians uh, tend to be scared of communists because communism tends to view religion as a form of oppression over the people. This goes right back to... Karl Marx and Frederick Engels and their writings on communism right through the Russian Revolution 
Um, they basically, and rightly so, see uh, religion as a form of oppression and a, a, a good Catholic country will remove religion uh, as one of the forms of oppression of the people. Christians know that, and so that's why popes since uh, 19-whatever have been uh, dead against uh, communists, communism, crushing it. This is why the popes uh, in the 30s and the 40s uh, were allying themselves with Hitler and Mussolini because Hitler and Mussolini wanted to crush the communists, and the popes were like, fucking two thumbs up for that, son. So... um, do whatever you want to the Jews, not our fucking problem, but just st- for you. stop the communists from taking power in uh, Italy because, uh, you know, don't, we don't like that shit. Um, now, Chavez, too, in 2002, had recently called the Catholic Church a tumor on the nation. It's not a tumor, a tumor Ooh. on the nation. <laughs> And people are like, oh, you can't say that about the Catholic Church. It's not like they're running around raping children and then systematically right. covering it up. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> so it turns out Chavez was right. Uh, he was onto something there. Um, so that probably explains why the Opus Day were against him. But again, would generals, uh, Venezuelan generals plan on overthrowing Chavez without the U.S.'s tacit approval, difficult to imagine. Now, for months before the coup, um, Americans, including U.S. government officials and officials of the National Endowment for Democracy, or NED, we'll just call it NED from now on, had been in contact with Venezuela and and the political parties uh, in in opposition uh, that were involved in the coup. Um, and Ned becomes important a little bit later on in the story, so I wanted to bring them into it now. But they had been involved before the coup. Um, National Endowment yeah, for Democracy, yeah, it was set up by Reagan. We'll get into it a bit later. But um, they uh, basically go around, particularly Latin American countries, in trying to um, uh, install uh, mm-hmm. governments that are friendly to American interests with funding from Congress. Now, the other thing to remember about this, of course, is it all happened just after 2001. 2001 happened, 9-11, oh. um, and the Bush administration is on the war path. They, they feel like they have a blank check to crack down on anyone they didn't like. Mm-hmm. So why would the U.S. want to overthrow Chavez uh, in 2002? Well, one reason is, might be the old domino theory, you know, the, the, which led a lot of American actions during the Cold War. Um, right. If if uh, one country goes communist, it's a bit like, you know, once you go black, you never go back. Um, <laughs> once you go communism, uh, you never want to go back right. to capitalism uh, because, uh, in theory, at least, uh, uh, the, the wealth of the country is going to be distributed more fairly. Um, uh, you're not going to have 1% of people controlling 90% of the wealth and the, the rest of the wealth shared amongst the 10%. It's going to be a little bit more fair. Um, and basically, America's position uh, since, well, fucking 1917 has been this cannot be allowed to survive. You, you can't allow communism, communist governments to survive anywhere, not because, as it's usually depicted, it's, it's an existential threat to the human race, but because if they if they if they demonstrate that this can work and the people are happy, then 
people in mm. other countries, and particularly in the United States, are going to go, oh, that, uh, that communism is looking pretty good. Uh, what have we got some of that? Which, is, of course, is what's happening today with Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders. They're saying socialism. Yeah, fuck it. Yes, right. let's, let's talk about socialism. So they wanted to crush it have... before it could uh, become right. successful. But so you bring up an interesting point because it's the domino theory, not the domino fact, which, you know, Vietnam and and, and, and uh, the long war there. But the point is, it, it turns out, and I, I don't want to get ahead on the Cold War show, but it turns out to not be the case where you let one go and then suddenly boom, 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 all these other neighbor, neighboring countries go communism as well. And so it's not been established as an effective model, but the Americans are still reacting I guess their their sensitivity or their fear of even the remotest chance that it could happen, we have to stomp this out, even though they can't specifically point to a country that went communist and then a whole bunch of other countries around it also went the same way. So again, this just to me, this just shows you their sensitivity, their fear, and what's been ingrained in them in the Cold War, even though it's not based in reality. Well, yeah, but one of the reasons why it probably didn't happen is every time a country was looking to go or did go communist, right. uh, the U.S. engaged them directly or indirectly in a major conflict, which, uh, like if you take Vietnam, which killed how many millions of people over yeah. 20 years? Um, if, you en- if a country is looking to go communist and you engage it, either with direct military action or economic warfare in the case of Cuba. They attempted to invade, obviously, failed. And then they just uh, launched economic warfare on them for the last, whatever the fuck it's been, 70 years. Uh, You destroy those countries. You either kill millions and millions of their citizens or you destroy them economically and leave them in ruins or the case of the Soviet Union, you engage them in an arms race and engage them in uh, indirect conflicts in various parts of the world. Um, so no one, you know, no one looks at those communist countries and goes, "Fuck, I'd love a piece of that." Oh, Cuba, that looks great. Right. People look at it and go, "Fuck, that's fucked, man." Like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to live. That's why people try and get out of Cuba and people try and get out of Venezuela because they've been destroyed economically. Now, some of that, uh, let's say half of that, um, if you want to look at it that way, is the fault of the the governments that run these countries. I'm not saying they all do a fantastic job um, of, mm-hmm. of running a centralized economy, um, but the, at least some of it, I'd say at least half, if you want to be fair about it, is the result yeah. of being engaged in military or economic warfare by the United States and their allies particularly after World War Two. Anyway, yeah. um, so that might be one reason. Removing Chavez from power, the U.S. could tighten its grip on Latin America, stop them from pushing a leftist agenda in other Latin countries, which Chavez did. He was very open. He was like Castro, and you know, he and Castro did a lot of press conferences together. They're basically saying, yeah, yeah, we're mm-hmm. going we're gonna to use Venezuela's oil wealth to help spread uh, socialism, communism to other countries across Latin America scared the fuck out of the Americans. But of course, another reason, as John Bolton has just pointed out, installing a more friendly government in Caracas would lead to an increase in Venezuelan oil production, uh, bring more stability to oil prices, and would enable American oil companies to get back in the action. Remember when Chavez came to power, 
he said to the oil companies, the foreign oil companies in Venezuela, hey, you got to pay us more money for the oil. And yeah. they said, fuck you. A couple of them did anyway. And so he kicked him out of the right. country. So the Americans want to get their oil interests. Remember that Bush and Cheney were oil men. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bush through his father, um, right. who was an oil man. Cheney, uh, because he was ex-Halliburton, Halliburton, major oil uh, services company, probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, oil services company in the world. So um, these are oil guys. And look, I think we all know today, uh, some of us knew back then, but I think most people can see today that the 2003 invasion of Iraq was all about oil. Before the 2003 invasion, Iraq's domestic oil industry was fully nationalized, closed to Western oil companies. Ten years later, Mm. mostly privatized and dominated by foreign firms. Not all Americans, but a good chunk of them were Americans. So, uh, and if you don't believe it was all about oil, Iraq, this is, in 2003, General John Abazide, uh, who was the uh, former head of U.S. Central Command and Military Operations in Iraq in 2007, said, of course it's about oil. We can't really deny that. Um, Alan Greenspan, the former Federal Reserve (laughs) Chairman, wrote in his memoir, I am saddened that it is politically inconvenient to acknowledge what everyone knows. The Iraq war is largely about oil. Uh, Obama's Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel said in 2007, people say we're not fighting for oil. Of course we are. Um, So... I think they all mispronounced weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were close, yeah. And somebody saved the children. So, of course, uh, Iraq, major oil producer. Venezuela, major oil producer. Yeah. if you don't think the U.S., if you agree that the U.S. would want to invade Iraq over oil, but you don't think they'd be fucking with the Chavez administration and looking for regime change because of oil, yeah, then uh, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to, to balance in my head. Um, so on f- the 7th of February 2002, a couple of months before the coup, Venezuelan mm-hmm. Air Force Colonel Pedro Vicente Soto Uh, and another guy, National Reserve Captain Pedro Flores Rivero, led a rally protesting Chavez's government, calling it undemocratic and authoritarian. They also Mm. said that Chavez was alienating the United States because his foreign policy involved negotiating with Colombian rebels and strengthening links with OPEC countries who were considered enemies of the United States, including Iraq. According to Bart Jones, who wrote a biography uh, on uh, Chavez, he was uh, is a journalist in the United States. He worked with Associated Press on their Venezuelan desk back then. Today, I think he works for Newsday's paper in New York State. Um, according to his biography, uh, Soto, this... Air Force Colonel had been passed over for promotion, so maybe one reason Ooh. why he was pissed. And then right. Scott Wilson, the guy from the journalist with the Washington Post, whose video I played last episode, he um, he wrote an article in two thousand and two saying that Soto and uh, I think Rivero had each received a hundred thousand dollars from a Miami <laughs> bank account for denouncing Chavez. Huh. What a coincidence. Now, Washington Post said that, not Chavez. Washington Post right. wrote that uh, based right. on their own investigations. Um, so, 
Yeah, okay, these guys were military, they were speaking about Chavez, but they were getting paid. By who? Dunno. Um, right. Is that factual? Dunno. But that was what was in the Washington Post at the time. Mm. And leading up to the 2002 coup, the, the, the private corporate media in Venezuela had practically been running wall-to-wall pro-coup regime change propaganda um, for months leading up to it. So um, these are some of the things that were going on around the coup in 2002. By the way, one guy, The Guardian, in April of 2002, The Guardian wrote an article that said the coup was linked to the Bush administration. Um, Now, Mm -hmm. one guy they mentioned in this article back in 2002 as being the guy in the Bush administration who gave the green light to the coup was a guy called Elliot Abrams. Now, Elliot Abrams had been convicted in the 80s during the Reagan administration for misleading Congress over the Iran-Contra affair. (laughs) He's also the guy who helped Reagan and Bush the first run death squads in Nicaragua and El Salvador. And Trump just appointed him last week as his special envoy to Venezuela. What does that tell you? The same guy. Yeah, yeah. The same guy (laughs) that, according to The Guardian, gave the green light to overthrow Chavez's government in 2002 has just been appointed as uh, Trump's special envoy to Venezuela. This guy went to jail for misleading Congress over the Iran Contra affair was trying to overthrow the Nicaraguan government. He ran right wing yeah. death squads in Nicaragua and El Salvador for Bush one, which we talked about in our Bush episodes when he died. Oh, like they're not again. They're not even trying to fucking hide it now. They're like, yeah, we, we're right. they were getting the 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 worst the pieces of shit that we can yeah. find and putting them on the team, man. We're putting the band back together. Yeah. Now, see, here's my thing. You know, the the person who got him the interview, who got him, you know, the possibility of getting this job, obviously is a part of whatever group that wants to get the Venezuelan oil, and you know that that's fine. But you just get the sense that Trump probably doesn't even know this guy's background. You think we should hire him? Is he a good guy? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead and do it. You, you just get the feeling that they're just doing stuff around behind Trump's back, and he has no clue. He's he's com- probably completely out of his depth. In this and a lot of other things. Oh, yeah. I don't think Trump gives yeah. a shit, man. Yeah. Um, now, if the USA was involved in the first coup attempt in 2002, mm. it was probably involved in the other coup attempts that happened in 2002. I think that's a reasonable <laughs> conclusion. Yeah. So that was the April one. Then another oil strike happened on the 21st of October in 2002, followed by another coup attempt the next day. Um, That one lasted one day and it failed. Then in December of 2002, there was another coup attempt, again around an oil strike. But this oil strike and lockdown lasted for two months. They would, rather than um, like uh, like a a military coup this time, they were trying to force Chavez to hold a snap presidential election, which they thought they could win. That's basically a coup, trying to force an election like this is yeah. uh, through using strike activities, whatever, is a form of a coup. It's a soft coup, but it's a coup. Now, well, uh, yeah. 
I was just going to say, uh, previous previous to this, you know, Chavez had been doing everything he can to really make the oil the main um, the main source of money coming in that he had access to. Because you know, Trump. early on in his presidency, Trump, no, Chavez. Chavez has been realigning the inter the economy to really be able to access and use the money that's coming from oil. So these guys are probably thinking, oh, he's got this one weapon. If we can take it away from him, how could he not possibly fall? And 19,000 people did go on strike involved in the oil, the state-owned uh, oil company. So 19,000, I mean, this this entire oil process probably came to a screeching halt and they were probably counting on the pressure. And like you said, two months is a very long time. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, yes. I mean, oil, as we said in the last episode is like the number one thing in the Venezuelan economy. It's worth like 90% of their exports. Um, that's, this is where the country's money comes from is oil. Destroy the oil flow. It's like the that's spice, man, yeah. you know, you uh, stop the spice from flowing, you can uh, right? destroy the universe, and then Wadib needs to come in. And oh, God. If, Gary, if Gary Arndt is listening to this show, I know Gary's a huge... Uh, no, Gary Arndt, uh, number one travel photographer in the world, by the way, 200,000 followers on Instagram. Um, Damn. If you're not following Gary's Instagram feed, you should. Like His, photo his photographs are fucking amazing. But he's also a big Dune fan like myself, and he's been waxing lyrical about this new Villeneuve uh, Dune film that's coming up. Anywho, Sorry. nothing about that. So, yes, so um, the Pedavisa management, PDVSA, Pedavisa, as it's normally, uh, uh, what's the, what do you call that when you sound out something? Um, alliter um, alliteration? Uh, mm, I don't know. There's a word for that. Don't ask me to think. It's too early. It's too uh, early. Too early. The Pettivaser management basically walked out. Now, as you right. said earlier, in the April coup, Chavez had sacked four of the, the Pettivaser managers. Then after the coup, he reappointed yeah. them again because he was trying to do yeah. Julius Caesar, right? He's like, all right, Domini Patri, Domini Patri, Filius Spiritus Sancti. He forgave them and let them go back in. Bless them, let right. them go back in. Then they run another fucking strike uh, at the end of the year. <laughs> Walked out, uh, locked all of the workers out of the facilities, ordered their fleet of oil tankers not to dock so they were sitting out oh. in the bay. Oil production fell by two-thirds, completely crippled the Venezuelan economy. Now, remember, it's not Jeez. only 90% of their exports, but it's also... Their own domestic petroleum comes from uh, their their oil facilities. Yeah. So there was no gas, no petrol for their cars. As a result of all Jeez. of this, businesses closed down. Uh, people were laid off. Uh, Venezuela had to import oil to meet its its foreign contracts, its obligations to other countries. Airlines had to cancel flights. Private TV networks, again, were running anti-Chavez messages around the clock. Venevision's mm. president openly declared sol solidarity with the strikers. There was a, a media war going on against Chavez. Um, private network, the private TV networks were declaring that all universities and schools were closed. But then the mm -hmm. uh, Minister for Edvo Education would get up and go, no, they're, they're not. Everything's still open. Go to school. <laughs> Uh, they go, no, they're shut. He's like, ah, no, they're right. not. Yeah, yeah, they're shut. Um, Chaos. Globavision, another one of the big private networks, was running free advertisements for the opposition during the strike. Um, mm. So 
Now, you may say, well, that's fine. Uh, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a free country. Uh, the media can do that kind of thing. But, but is it? Really? Is that okay if you if your media is trying to overthrow your government? Now, as I think I said in the last episode, this happens in Australia roughly every 18 months. Uh, Rupert Murdoch overthrows our government. Um, we, we do nothing about it because we're like Australians and we're like, oh, fuck it, let's go to the beach. Um, so, <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's okay. I'm not happy about it. Right. I'm not right. going to storm the News Corp offices because I'm a pussy, but uh, people aren't happy about it. Sure. Um, But, you know, so that was going on. It was definitely a a media-led war. And again, the media is run by rich guys. Rich guys don't like socialists. So, of course, they're trying to overthrow a, again, democratically elected government. So the question here is, is it okay for private media companies to try and overthrow a democratically elected government um, that will come down to your constitution and the legal norms in your country. But on the surface of it, it would seem that a handful of rich guys that own media companies should not be able to overthrow a government that was elected by the people, use their power right. and wealth to do that. That's it. That's what happens all around the world. I mean, that's how your presidents get elected. Uh, our, our prime ministers here, is, to a large part, get elected by what Rupert Murdoch says about them. Um, anyway, um, yeah. Chavez again fired four Pedavesa executives that were leading the strike. These are the same guys that he fired last time, reinstalled, fired them again, continued to <laughs> fire management and uh, on a daily basis by early January the strike started in December remember by early January he'd fired 300 managers and replaced them with loyal party members now uh, the people ended up rising up there were there were anti-chavez marches there were pro-chavez marches anyway the whole thing ended up crippling the economy and it lasted about two months Coup finally ended. Chavez didn't resign, didn't hold another election. In the aftermath of the strike, though, he fired 18,000 Pedavesa employees, about 40% of the company's workforce, which I think was about 40,000 people, uh, for dereliction of duty during the strike. Yeah. He claimed the strike... Yeah, they abandoned their post. Exactly, and crippled the economy. Now, he claims the strike cost the economy... $20 $20 billion. I've read other figures of around $13 billion. So somewhere between 30 to $20 billion. Now, remember, this is a country which was already economically fucked before yeah. Chavez came into power, right? This is before the oil price had spiked massively and he started to rake in the riches. The, the country had been struggling for decades and then massive strike cost uh, another 13 to $20 billion. Um Unemployment went up from 15%, which is already horrendous, to 20%. Now, I've had people on Facebook arguing with me saying, well, Chavez wrecked the oil industry in Venezuela because he fired all of the executives who knew what was going on. Yeah, but what was he supposed to do? Give in to the demands of a handful of rich oil executives and resign? He was democratically elected by the people. Why right. I mean, should he, he give in yeah. to a handful of goons, of bullies who want their own way? 
just because they're in nice suits, does that not mean on some level that they're domestic terrorists? I mean, they're trying to overthrow their own their own government that's been duly elected. But you're right. I mean, he grabbed as many retired workers as he could. He grabbed as many foreign contractors who knew what they were doing. And then he grabbed some military personnel, let's be honest, who didn't know what they're doing. So even though this two-month strike, he's able to outlast it going into the future, like you were saying a second ago, it's going to get even worse because these people do not know what they're doing, but at least they're showing up at the jobs and trying to keep the oil flowing for, for the for the government, for the economy, and for the people. Now, I like, you know, the amount of criticism that I've uh, read uh, of Chavez for sacking these guys and all of these workers is interesting, particularly when you compare it to Ronald Reagan sacking 11,000 air traffic controllers right. in 1981. They were just right. striking for better wages. They weren't trying to overthrow the government. <laughs> But Reagan sacked them, and the, the, the right loved him for it. They thought it was the ah, greatest thing that ever yeah. happened because he didn't take any shit from people that were going on strike. Right. It's tough. Yeah. Chavez sacks people for going on strike and crippling the economy, and he's a brutal dictator. Uh, right. Reagan does it, and, you know, he's the champion. He's of, decisive. He's tough. Yeah, he's exactly, bold. right? Yeah. And, 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 and I'm not even being facetious here. Like, the difference in the way the media handles these sorts of people like uh what's her face uh maggie thatcher also in the 80s mm -hmm. sacked uh, a whole bunch of uh people and and she was you know she was uh praised for being right. tough Hail. not allowing people to go on strike yeah, yeah. Jeez. Same thing happened yeah. in this country uh, in the, in the '90s under John Howard. A um, lot of lot of des destroying of the unions when they would go on strike and making it quasi illegal for unions mm. to go on strike. Um, and look, I'm a big fan of strike action. I, I you know I'm a I'm a big believer in the working classes uh, going on strike using whatever leverage they have over the mm -hmm. economy of a country to get their demands to be taken seriously. I'm a big fan of that, whether it's under Reagan or Chavez or, or any government. Um, but yeah, that's so, all they got open to them. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not saying these people shouldn't have struck. I'm not, I'm not supporting Chavez's uh, action. I'm saying just look at the difference between how Chavez's uh, sacking of these people is is treated in the dialogues in the media compared to when a Reagan does it, for example. Anyway, right. that's what he did. So he sacked these people, sacked the managers. Um, he gets criticized for that, but you put yourself in his shoes. What would you do? Would you leave these guys that wrecked the economy in charge? You can't leave them in charge of Pedavaza. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. He what, what, What's he going to yeah. do? He's either got to fire them or give in to their demands, and he's not going to do the latter. And not only that, but if he, if he does genuinely, even to some degree, care about the average person of his country, he knows that if he steps down and they put in someone that's going to do their bidding, you know, it's all going to be about the rich. It's going to be all about the 1%. The 99% are going to suffer even more. So he stays the course. He outlasts it. But but like you were saying a second ago, the uh, oil industry and the natural ga gas industry uh, is going to be wrecked in some ways for years because of, their, of all that institutional knowledge that was uh, – that went on strike and then was fired and not allowed back in their jobs. But, but like you said, what's he supposed to do? Yeah. 
So that was early 2003 when that ended. A year later, in 2004, there was an attempt by a Venezuelan group called Sumate to force a recall of the election that had just happened. It turned well, out... I thought... That, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I thought this was interesting because you're right, in 2004, what, what someone figures out is that what they're going off is the 1999 constitution. And inside of that, out of the many different um, facets of it, there's a recall referendum option. So they finally figure this out and the opposition tries to organize that. It's like if we can't get them out illegally, through a coup and we can't do the strike let's try to use the the constitution that we have before us and let's see if we can get the people to change their mind and go against their votes um, and see if we can kick kick this guy out legally so they're still coming at this guy as often as they possibly can which is fine I I, I fully support uh, the Mm -hmm. action of Venezuelans to want to force a, a recall um, but it turned out later that Sumate, this group, was funded by a combination of wealthy Venezuelans and the U.S. government via this agency I mentioned earlier, NED, the National Endowment for Democracy. Now it was we want that oil. Sorry, it's a not a non-profit soft power group that was uh, set up by the Reagan administration in 1983 with the stated goal of promoting democracy abroad. Um, uh, by democracy, read governments that we can work with. Um, funnily enough, not very active uh, in Saudi Arabia, NED. I don't see them trying to promote democracy in Saudi Arabia. Oh. Um, what about Syria? No, uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, don't know, interesting that. Uh, but anyway, it's funded primarily through Congress. So this Samate group funded by the United States government, ran around and collected enough signatures to re- force a recall. Now, uh, in the lead-up to the recall, the polls mm. indicated that uh, Chavez would lose. Um, after the vote, Sumate were claiming that the exit polls indicated Chavez would lose by 20%. He actually Ooh, won by 59%. Now... People may say, well, it was a corrupt vote. Well, Jimmy Carter's organization oversaw the the recall vote. Mm -hmm. Um, They said it was free and fair. Uh, Jimmy Carter also himself said that Sumate deliberately distributed this erroneous exit poll data in order to build up not only the expectation of victory, Uh but also to influence the people still standing in line. Yeah, that's that's freaking smart. Now, I will say that um, this election, the poor people support, su- uh, supported Chavez more than the middle class did in the previous election. But the point is, I mean, the, these poor people have got to be seeing what he's trying to do with the whole strike, the coups. And they're they're probably thinking this guy is trying to help us. He just isn't getting much traction. But the point is, yes, 70 percent of the people who can vote do and 59 percent of them support Chavez. So he dodges another bullet. But the poor people are truly on his side. And so, again, the the conservatives, the church, the, uh, the the foreigners, they do not like that very much, but he's got the poor on his side, at least for now. Now, Chavez accused Sumate of funding several journalists in Venezuela who worked for opposition media outlets, which basically means, if he's correct, that the US government was giving this group money and then this group was giving money to opposition journalists uh, to write negative right. story about Chavez. 
now, according to US State Department cables that WikiLeaks released, there was nearly constant communication between the US State Department and Sumate and other opposition leaders in the period leading up wow. to the recall vote. The leader mm-hmm. of Sumate uh, even met with George Bush before the recall vote. Oh, God. Right. And they publicized it. So, you know, basically, again, they're, they're saying, well, listen, you know, uh, ah, the opposition are the US. F- friendly with the U.S. government. If right. we get rid of Chavez and, you know, uh, put a friendly government in place, the U.S. will probably, uh, you know, treat us a lot nicer um, and maybe not invade us. Because, again, this is happening just after the Iraq invasion. I'm sure a lot of Venezuelans right. were worried that they might be next. According to one of the State Department cables, the uh, I think it was the ambassador in Venezuela um, said that the meeting with Bush had worked to lift the profile of Sumate and the recall vote. Uh, so basically it was a marketing exercise for the recall vote. But he says, mm-hmm. it is important now to let the organization ride this surge largely on its own. A continuing too evident public identification with the US could now be counterproductive. At the same time, however, we need to ensure that Samare has the resources it needs to exploit this new vantage point it enjoys. There are a number of proposals, including, for example, one to review Venezuela's electoral registry that the NGO has submitted for USG funding. The president has directed that $3 million in financial year 2005 be made available for Venezuela. Timely programming of these funds can help us continue to catalyze Sumate's efforts. They've got this worked out. So that's a smoking gun. Uh, that the U.S. government in 2004 is funding Venezuelan opposition groups with millions of dollars to try and overthrow a democratically elected government. Now, you know, we've seen since the U.S. election in 2016, people fucking up in arms that Russia might be involved in trying to interfere with the American democratic process. And that's right. why I've been saying, like, fuck you, you fucking Hippocratic cunts. Hippocratic? Hypocritical. That's the word I'm looking for. Hippocratic, Hippoc- yeah. Hippocratic yeah. oath. Stop with your fucking Hippocratic oath, you hypocritical cunts. <laughs> like, you've been doing this to countries forever. Like, shut the fuck up. We don't care. In fact, I celebrate. If if anyone can come in and fuck with your democracy, I celebrate it. Because you deserve, <laughs> you deserve a taste of your own medicine, quite frankly. How does it feel? Yeah. Hey, how does it feel when the that's, bully, that's true. it's like from my perspective yeah. as an international observer, it's like seeing the schoolyard bully get the shit kicked out of him and him <laughs> going, oh, look what they did to me. You're like, please, I don't give a shit. You know, good. Good. I yeah. wish I'd been able to get a kick in the nuts myself. Like, how does it feel? Stop being a cunt, right? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 wish you, I wish you could say to me or I wish anybody could say to me, look, if the United States had gotten in there, gotten control, we got a friendly government, let our companies, oil companies, come in and take over. Look, you don't know what you're doing. We're, we're much more efficient. We can do this faster. We can extract more oil. 
we are going to give you the best deal in the history of Royal. We are going to give you a fair, uh, fair cut. You're going to be able to take care of your people and build hospitals and schools. It's going to be fucking awesome. But we know that's not the case. We know that the American companies would rob and rape them blind and, and pay them minimalist and, and oppress their people even more. So they can't even stand on that argument. Again, they're just going to do what everybody else does. And they deserve to be opposed any way and any time it can possibly happen. This is a little fantasy I had. Another State Department cable that WikiLeaks released was from August of 2004. It says that the ambassador's plan, the ambassador had a five-point plan for Venezuela. Here are the five points. One, strengthening democratic institutions. Sounds nice. Number two, penetrating Chavez. No, wait. Penetrating Chavez's political base. Okay, sorry. I thought that was a sex thing. Three, dividing Chavismo. Um, four, protecting the vital U.S. business, and five, isolating Ooh. Chavez internationally. So that was his plan. Um, in another yeah. another diplomatic cable from 2004, the ambassador said they had spent $1.1 million funding workshops and training sessions to try and create more local opposition to Chavez. Now, again, people, these are U.S. State Department leaked cables talking about how they are actively spending money in Venezuela to try and overthrow the democratically elected government. One secret uh, cable from August 2009, five years later, well after Obama took office, talked about Mm. there being growing protests against Chavez and, and this is the quote, All these people organizing the protests are our grantees, people we have given money to. So this continued for years, right through the Obama administration, U.S. government giving money to Venezuelan opposition groups and and helping them run workshops and training to try and overthrow Chavez. Uh, So it wasn't just the Bush administration, is my point. Right. Now... If you, if you run a quick search for Venezuela on the Cablegate search engine that WikiLeaks has, which I did, mm-hmm. um, Venezuela is mentioned in 9,424 cables. Mm-hmm. Now, As in, I hope they're doing well. I didn't read all 9,500 of them, to be honest. But uh, this is more than any other country in Latin America uh, except Brazil, which had 9,633 cables. Now, Brazil has seven times the population of Venezuela, but almost Mm -hmm. the same number um, of uh, mentions in these cables. Now, um, Mexico... The biggest U.S. trading partner in Latin America had less cables, Mm -hmm. 8,966. So why is Mm. Venezuela receiving so much attention? Now, at a Latin American conference in Rio de Janeiro in May 2007, a cable was sent to the Secretary of State and to Bush's National Security Advisor, which Mm. with a detailed report on Chavez when it talked about his aggressive plans to create a unified Bolivarian movement through Latin America and was talking about what they should do about it. Right. Um, Jeez. Yeah. So, the you know, right through the Bush administration, they were trying to figure out how to uh, disrupt 
Chavez's political activities. The in this cable, the what they call the areas of action included mm-hmm. building ties with the region's military leaders. It said, "This is a quote from the article uh, from the cable." Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez is aggressively seeking to divide Latin America between those who buy into his populist anti-American policies and authoritarian message, and those who seek to establish and strengthen free market, democratic-based policies and institutions. And the three points that they had uh, for engagement are directly engage. We must reassert our presence in the region and engage broadly, especially with the non-elites. Two, Mm. change the political landscape. We should offer a vision of hope and back it up with adequately funded programs. Three, enhance military relationships we should continue to strengthen ties to those military leaders in the region who share our concern over Chavez. So they're blatantly talking about doing deals with military leaders in Latin America to uh, go up against Chavez. I mean, this, this, this is how it fucking works. This is a State Department cable, people. And like this and, isn't and, this isn't Noam yeah. Chomsky surmising what's happening behind the scenes. This is the shit. Yeah, and and the 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 part for me is this is not the Cold War. I mean, the Cold War has been over for at least you know ten years, twelve years, whatever. Uh, you know, nineteen ninety two. But the point is, this is just business now. Forget the Cold War. This is just going after money. Because he's a leftist, because it's a leftist government, we have to do whatever we can do, short of blatantly, you know, military invention, to undermine, weaken, and overthrow this guy. And we're we're just going at it for years and years and years. And we can't we can't even have the backdrop of the Cold War as a justification. We just want your fucking oil. We want access to your natural resources so we can benefit from it. Just straight up the game. Now, people may um, read or have heard that uh, the Latin American trade organization, Mercosur, had uh, sort of evicted Venezuela during this period, also again during um, uh, recently with the Maduro government, uh, as evidence that, well, look, even other Latin American countries don't like Venezuela. Well, there was another U.S. State Department cable that was leaked by WikiLeaks. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about how they were holding Mercosur as hostage. It said, with regard to Mercosur, we should not be timid in stating that Venezuela's membership will torpedo U.S. interest in even considering direct Mm. negotiations with the trading bloc and in questioning when and how Mercosur plans to apply its democracy clause strictures to Chavez's regime. So basically saying, tell the regional trade organization that if they do business with Venezuela, we won't do business with them. Again, using blackmail, threats and intimidation to try and destroy the Venezuelan economy. But all this stuff happens behind the scenes. So this stuff normally doesn't get reported by the media. Um, And so the general public doesn't know that this is going on. If it wasn't for WikiLeaks releasing these cables, we would have no idea about these sorts of conversations. But again, this is the stuff that um, the economic hitman guy talked about in his book about this is how the game is played. And and then WikiLeaks really, when that book came out, 
you know, the US media went, oh, that's bullshit. That's all fantasy. It's crazy conspiracy theory. None of that happens. Jeez, and then WikiLeaks bro. released the cables and the cables back up what this guy was saying, <laughs> right? It's exactly what he, what Perkins wrote in his book. Exactly. And I just have to say this, of course, and you've said this before, but I think it bears saying that again. Again, this everybody does this. Everybody, every country that can do this in whatever form and on whatever scale they do, America's just the big boy so we can bring heavy guns to bear. Everybody does it. It's, it's just the nature of geopolitical po- politics. It's just, it's just how the game is done. You just take from others because you can. And the thing that sort of amuses me is when I get into discussions with people like David Markham, um, mm-hmm. who, by the way, love David, great friend, lovely human yeah. being, just so, so blinkered when it comes to the United States because he's a Democrat and he's a... He's, <laughs> I told him on Facebook the other day that he has to hand in his progressive Democrat badge and basically sign Ooh. up with the neocons and he got pissy at me. Um, I said, I said, I'm going to send him a John Bolton fan club t-shirt. No, um, uh, like these the people, particularly I think of his generation. Like he's in his seventies. These white men in his seventies just find it almost inconceivable to yeah. get their head around the fact that the United States is a bully. Yes, it's done some great things and wonderful things and, and, and produced lots of great artists and technology and helped stop Hitler and all these kind of things. Yes, no doubt, terrific. But at the same time, has been the world's number one bully since the end of World War II, getting what it wants. And they just find it really difficult to grasp that and, and, and to hold those two things simultaneously in their head. Right. It's the same same way people, uh, religious people often uh, struggle with Christianity. And I think kind of nationalism, uh, patriotism is like a religion. You know, if I start criticizing the Catholic Church, people say, but they do so many good things. Like they've run hospitals and poverty outreach. Yes, sure. And you know what? The Ku Klux Klan have done nice things as well. Um, and 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 Hitler built the autobahn and the Volkswagen. I mean, look, people can do good and bad shit. Uh, they they yeah, same time, right? Uh, just mm-hmm. acknowledge that they can do both. It's not binary. Usually, it's right. not one or the other. People can do both. Governments, yeah. countries can do both. So that's um, often do. Ambassador, the ambassador of Venezuela, the American ambassador Brownfield at one point was boasting in a cable of uh, an OTI civic education program. OTI sounds like a disease of the penis, but it's actually Office of (laughs) Transition Initiatives. It's part of uh, USAID, the United States Agency for International Development, which is fairly well known as being an um, undercover government infiltration uh, organization. Mm. Oh, yeah, right. they, they have like CIA undercover people are working for USA. They're going to these countries, supposedly an aid organization, but really they're getting, they get arrested all the time for doing, you know, uh, undercover shit in these countries. Anyway, uh, he was boasting about OTI running a program called Democracy Among Us, in Venezuela, uh-huh. which had worked through Venezuelan NGOs and had reached over 600,000 Venezuelans. So again, America's 
American Congress is funding these programs, which is going in and trying to interfere with the democratic process. I mean, you can call, you, right. you can call it sponsoring democracy if you want to put a pretty name on it. And in, in that case, that's what Russia was doing in America. If if <laughs> if election. they were right. actually trying to get people to vote for Trump uh, in the 2016 election, they were just sponsoring democracy. That's yeah. what America calls it when they interfere with it. So that's what Russia was doing. Um, in total, between 2004 and 2006, USAID donated $15 million to over 300 organizations in Venezuela. Damn. Now, another issue the U.S. had, and I know we're going along here, but another issue the U.S. had with Venezuela, your Super Bowl hasn't started yet, right? You got some time? No, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Yeah. The... Um, Another issue the U.S. had with Venezuela was the regional energy agreement Venezuela had set up, the uh, Petro Caribe. Uh, Petro Caribe mm-hmm. was providing oil to friendly countries, countries friendly to Venezuela, on a concessionary basis. I said in the last episode, I think they were giving cheap oil to Cuba. Right. Um, this yeah. was part of Petro Caribe. Basically, you'd just pay a little bit of the bill up front. The remainder of the bill would be financed by Venezuela over long-term interest rates that were extremely low. This is particularly once the Venezuelan economy started to recover. All prices went up after the Iraq invasion. Like 2003, all prices shot up, and Venezuela, Chavez started making money hand over fist. Now, um, Petro Caribe was basically trying to eliminate the middlemen, the multinational oil companies, that you know control the retail oil market and was just doing deals directly with friendly countries. So the American oil companies obviously were pissed about that as well. Um, again, leaked cables, State Department cables showed that while U.S. diplomats acknowledged in private that there were clear economic benefits for countries that joined Petro Caribe. They right. were still trying to prevent governments of those countries from becoming members and were working, the US government was working with multinational oil firms to try and counter Venezuela's efforts in providing cheap oil to other Latin American countries. They were saying, yeah, look, we know this is good for the people of these countries, but fuck it, it's not good it's for not our good oil for companies. Not good yeah. for our oil companies, yeah. so we have to stop I it. Stop. Um, In June 2009, John Caulfield, who was a senior U.S. diplomat in Venezuela, explained why the U.S. was investing so much time in trying to counteract Petro Caribe. He said, and again, this is in a diplomatic cable that was leaked, Chavez's outsized ambition, backed by petrodollars, makes Venezuela an active and intractable U.S. competitor in the region. Now, this is during the Obama the administration. Right. They're the right. enemy because they're a competitor because they're making right. oil cheap and available and it's cutting out uh, American oil companies. Now, apparently the U.S. Uh, were worried that Petro Caribe would be very successful in the Caribbean, uh, which would make them less reliant on Washington um, mm-hmm. and therefore... It's one less thing that the U.S. can hold over their heads in terms of, of negotiations and threats. Um, and, 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 and if that's the case, then these countries might elect more socialist leaders because uh, they're getting oil, 
they're, you know, right. and they're getting it in good terms, and so their economy is stronger, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and the U.S. can't uh, manipulate them. In another cable, this one's from March two thousand and five. The Brazilian foreign minister pushed back hard against the U.S. when the U.S. were trying to say that Chavez was a threat to the region, which, by the way, this is mm-hmm. in the Bush administration's era, 2005. Obama said the same thing years later, called Venezuela a threat to the region. It's ridiculous. But anyway, this is, um, again, in another U.S. Uh, State Department cable. Ambassador outlined points on the USG's growing concern about Chavez's rhetoric and actions and stressed that the USG increasingly sees Chavez as a threat to the region. Per refs, he asked the foreign minister, Amorum, to consider institutionalizing a more intensive political engagement between the USG and GOB, Government of Brazil, on Chavez and standing up a dedicated intelligence-sharing arrangement. Foreign Minister Amorum was clear in his response. We do not see Chavez as a threat. Amorum said that Chavez had been democratically elected in a general election that was reaffirmed by a referendum, enjoys substantial domestic support, is a popular figure on the international left and is the leader of a major power on the continent. For those reasons, we have to work with him and do not want to do anything that would jeopardize our relationship with him, Amorim affirmed. <laughs> so again, evidence that the US was trying to push uh, regional leaders to uh, go against Chavez. In this case, this particular foreign minister told them to go fuck themselves, but of course that's (laughs) not always the case. Well, I I just want to add to that. Even the mayor of London got in trouble. Yeah, when Chavez says, look, we're going to give cheaper than normal oil to poor working class communities, the mayor of London, Ken Livingston, said, look, he welcomed this, and this is the best news that's come out of Latin America in many years. And so then he gets in trouble not only with the U.S., but then he gets in trouble with the prime minister at the time. So, again, even this guy, just the mayor of London, just says, look, this is great, Um, I, I think he's, you know, he's he's doing nice things. He's helping the poor, and even he gets, um, you know, he gets his hand slapped for making a public statement. Mm. Just jeez. Well, look, we have to wrap this up. We're at an hour and a half, and uh, Chrissy's about to start teaching violin. Uh, so, and, but I got yeah. a ton more notes. So we're going to have to do a, at least a third episode on this. But okay. despite all of this stuff going on during the Bush administration and the Obama administration, Chavez obviously survived until he died. Uh, And for the first time in Venezuela's history, he started to direct the vast oil wealth of the country to the impoverished majority of the population. Again, 2003, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, America invades Iraq, oil prices go up, Venezuela suddenly making shit tons of money. And Chavez, despite what you might think about him, started doing good things for the people. Um, and this is, again, something that people really struggle to comprehend. But for, yeah. for a century, the oil wealth of Venezuela had been controlled by a very tiny, very wealthy, rich elite, an oligarchy that lived in gated mansions and jetted mm-hmm. off to Europe for their vacations, while the majority of people lived in tin shacks and slums. And if you've seen any photographs of Venezuela's slum districts, you get an idea of what this is like. Even today, it's, right. it's, it's, it's brutal poverty that people lived in. You know, I get a lot of people <laughs> on Facebook going, oh, Venezuela was doing so great before Chavez ruined it. And really? 
No, there wasn't. I mean, uh, people were in massive poverty. Yes, there was a handful of extremely rich people and there was a middle class, a small middle class that were doing okay because they worked for the rich people. But the vast majority of people were extremely poor. Poverty was running at like 50%. When Chavez right. came to power in 98, 99, poverty rate was running at 50%. Jesus. Um, but... Uh, he started to pour money into social programs. The poverty rate during the first 10 years of Chavez dropped from 50.5% in 1998 to 26% at the close of 2008. Now, the oil price only surged in 2003. So in five years, mm -hmm. he cut the poverty cut rate it. in half. Yeah. Jeez. You want, yeah. Yeah. You want to you know why he was popular? It's because he <laughs> was he it's like I said last time, you know, people say, oh, well, he was just trying to win people's votes by doing things for them. Yes. No. <laughs> no shit. Don't you don't you democracy like, yes, that is how democracy works. I'm sorry yeah. to break this to you, but that's how it works. Yeah, you theory. don't have to be sincere. If you give me medicine and you give me schooling and you give me food and a decent place to live, I'll keep voting for you. You don't have to really, really, really mean it. As long as you do it, that's all that fucking matters. If he was the leader of any other country, he'd be hailed as a fucking hero for cutting right. poverty by 50% in five <laughs> years. Extreme well, poverty it was down from 40%. These are people living on less than a dollar a day. They cut mm -hmm. from 40% down to 7.3%. But Jeez. no, to the American media and governments, successive governments, he was a villain, a threat yeah. to the region because he was cutting poverty. Now, between 2000 and 2010, social spending increased by 61% or $772 billion. Um, under Chavez, 2.1 million people received senior citizens' pensions, which was a sevenfold increase from where it was at before him. Um, according to the World Bank, infant mortality fell from 20.3 per thousand births when he came into power to 12.9 by 2011. Mm. So nearly cut infant mortality in half. Education became more accessible. The number of children enrolled in secondary education rose from 48% in 1999 to 72% in 2010, according to UNESCO. Child malnutrition uh, dropped from 7% in 1990 to 5%. The country had 58 doctors per 10,000 people under Chavez versus 18 before he came to wow. power, 18 per 10,000 people. So what's that, a 300% increase in the number of doctors, many of whom came from Cuba. 96% uh -huh. um, of the population had access to clean water. School attendance was 85%. One in three Venezuelans was enrolled in free education up to and including university. So people's lives improved out of sight during Chavez's years. Now, yeah. you can criticize him. And listen, I'm, I'm more than happy to criticize Chavez and Maduro in how they spent the money. Like, people will say, yeah, oh, he just sunk all this money into helping poor people. He should have spent it in 
build, you know, reducing their reliance on oil as the major part of the economy. Sure, that's a fine. I'm more than happy to have a conversation about how Chavez and Maduro ran the economy, um, whether yeah. or not they mismanaged all of that money. These are words that get thrown around a lot. Well, he mismanaged the oil wealth. Fine, you can have that conversation. You can have that conversation about Saudi Arabia too and Iraq and all these sorts of countries. You can have a conversation about how the US has been mismanaging their economy, the trillions of dollars that the US has spent on wars in the Middle East over the last 15 years rather than healthcare and education and improving the infrastructure. There's plenty of mismanaging of economies going on around the world. <laughs> exactly. We, we're more, I, I more just, than happy to have yeah. that conversation. But the point is, Chavez mm-hmm. did what he said he was going to do. He helped the poor people of Venezuela. Now, if that makes him a villain in your eyes or in the eyes of the U.S. media or U.S. politicians. You really have to wonder what is going on. And, and if I could just give that context real quick, when they when there was the uh, first coup against him, um, that did that didn't last very long. He, you know, he he did get more moderate. He did back off, and he started to to slow things down. But after the other attempted coups, and after surviving the referendum in uh, 2004, he pretty much and you can't blame him for this. He got a little bit more radical. He got more determined, and he starts talking about socialism of the 21st century, which you just spelled out a lot of the results of that. He was like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna take this stuff head on we're going to use this money and it's not just going to be free market it's going to be more socialist and he attacked a lot of the problems the country were country was having and again you're right he became more radical through all these attempts to take him down and how does he manifest that he really starts to help the poorest of his country and one of the things that i wanted to get across in this episode is it is without a shadow of the i mean it's not not debatable at all that the u.s was directly involved in trying to bring about regime change in a in Venezuela during this period, um, and trying to overthrow a democratically elected government. Remember when when Chavez came to power, he wasn't even in, you can't say well it was a it was a fraudulent election a because he wasn't in control of the election, and b because right. like the Carter uh, organization was monitoring the election. Carter Center, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So he exactly. was democratic elected. The U.S. was directly involved through funding and through deals with opposition uh, people to try and overthrow the government. Um, mm-hmm. Secondly, Chavez did good things for the people of Venezuela. But then in 2013, after being in power for 15 years, winning many elections, he died uh, rather suddenly, rather young from cancer. Right. And Maduro took over. And then the next year, in 2014, the price of oil plummeted by half. And then Venezuela, on top of that, was hit with U.S. sanctions, the double whammy. But that is what we'll have to get into in our next episode, part three of Venezuela. And that hopefully will get up to what's going on today with the National Assembly and the Constituent Assembly and Guaido and all that kind of stuff. But we'll have to leave that for the next time because we've been talking for an hour and 36 minutes and uh, (laughs) i got to go. (laughs) Thanks, Papa Bear.